Good morning all. Let's read from the Word of God. 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has gone to set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey, obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission to the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Well, good morning. It's nice to see you all. Good morning for all those who are online. It's nice to see you as well. Um, let me put this up. We'll come to a time of prayer before we get engaged with, uh, with that, that text uh, and get into our new series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, I'll explain a little bit of what that's about in a minute. Let's pray. Our God, uh, today we think of um, Ascension Sunday. We remember Jesus departing uh, from us in, uh, in Jerusalem and ascending to where he sits alongside you. And God, those hidden from our sight... God, help us to continue to abide in him. Now, God, may we live confidently in his grace and his love. Our God, we, our God, we pray for the, uh, the community of believers that are here at KSBC, those who are physically here, those who are on the screens at the moment, those who couldn't be here. 
We thank you, God, for all who volunteer and serve in this church. God, those who volunteer in a capacity that we see every week, and those who do the behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe we never see. God, for all our children's ministry volunteers that are out serving our children now, for our youth and young out volunteers, we give you thanks, Lord. For those who do the administration tasks that um, are so important, for our treasurer and for our secretary. God, we thank you that they are there volunteering and giving so much of their lives to this church. God, our, we know that this church wouldn't run unless it was for the, the help of all our volunteers, and so we do want to thank you for them and um, lift them to you, God. May they be blessed as they serve you in this way, as they bless our church. God, we want to continue to pray beyond our home as well. We want to pray for Myanmar still. And we ask for peace, Lord, in a country that has been taken by force, where peace has been taken away and freedoms have been taken. We ask our God that you um, keep people safe, those who are innocent, those who just want to live some freedom. We pray that you give them safety. And Lord, we pray that peace will be restored into that country. Oh God, we pray for India, who are still battling with the crippling effects of COVID in and through the country. And God, we know that we know that those effects are probably a lot worse than the figures say. Um, how can you tell how many people are, are being uh, struck down with this this virus um, when there's so many places that just have got no help? We ask, Lord, that your grace will intercede into that place. God, a little closer to home, we pray for our country as well. Pray for Australia. Pray for our government. Those who are making decisions. Lord, we um, hear about the budget through this week. And we pray that as, um, as those who uh, look after the, the well-being of this country, we pray that you um, keep them uh, as people of integrity. God, we pray for our Prime Minister. That has, he has to make decisions that are, are sometimes very tough. We pray that you will uh, uphold him, that he will stay close to you. A little closer to home, Lord, we pray for uh, Jordan, our youth pastor, as he recovers from a bulging discs in his neck. Lord, I pray that as he puts his feet up and as he can't get around real easy, that, that you will um, work in his body healing that neck that he will just um, sense your spirit in him and with him, healing him, making him better. Give him the rest that he needs beyond just having that, that bulging disc in his neck. Lord, we also pray for David and Yvonne. We pray for Eleanor and John. We pray for Doug. And God, anyone else who may not be well, who may be grieving, who may be sick at the moment, who may be just wrestling with those niggly coming into winter snuffles. God, we pray you sustain us. God, we give you thanks for this church, your church, and we ask, God, that you continue to work through your people. Help us to be strengthened as disciples, Lord, that we may help others to know who you are also. And God, we thank you for the word that we've just heard. 
And God, as we explore over the coming weeks what it means to be emotionally healthy spiritually, we pray that we'll be open to hearing from you, God. May we be transformed by your word. May we become disciples who disciple other disciples. May we see you flourish in and through our lives. That as we leave this church building, that our communities, the places we live, the places we work, the places we go and be all the time, when we go on holidays, wherever we are, that we'll be those disciples there as well. That people will see Jesus in and through us. They'll hear about Jesus because of our words. And Lord, that they will come to know Jesus for themselves. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we just heard that, that great Bible passage. I, I really, um, it's, it's, a, it's a troubling Bible passage, a troubling lot of verses, but th- thanks, Sean, for reading it out. And, and as we get into a new series, uh, my prayer for this series is that we'll be open to hearing from God and hearing from God into the depths of who we are. Because we all know that some things look great on the surface, don't they? Some things look really good on the surface, but underneath, they're a disaster. For example, Pearl Harbor. I didn't know much about Pearl Harbor, so I did a little bit of research. In Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941, the radar was picking up this large formation of planes heading towards Hawaii. It was the first wave of attack on Pearl Harbor. The officer on duty said, don't worry, it's nothing. U.S. President, I think 25th uh, President of the United States, William McKinley, in August 1901, a few days before he was assassinated, he said to reporters, I have no enemies, why should I fear? On the top, it might look all right. And the CEO of a company called Digital Equipments in 1977 said, there's no reason for any individual to have a computer in their home. (laughs) Not sure that they're going to be doing too well now, are they? (laughs) And of course, sometimes things don't look good on the surface, but underneath they're fantastic. In 1954, a manager of a club told Elvis Presley Presley, at one of his first performances, you won't go anywhere. Go back to truck driving. In Germany, a teacher told a 10-year-old Albert Einstein, you're not going to amount to much. And in 1958, the CBS producer said to to Barbara Walters, with your voice, no one's going to let you broadcast. Things on the surface don't always appear great, but underneath they are doing well. Sometimes things on the surface aren't doing great, but things underneath are different. Things are not always as they appear. And it can be difficult and confusing for us to reconcile some of that. So during the next... Seven weeks after this week, we're going to focus in on not just what we see on the outside, but we're going to go under and sit into this, the place where we don't always see. We're going to go through a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's, it's, it's based on this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And um, it, the basis of it is that uh, it, it reaches a discipleship that reaches beyond just what we see on the outside, beyond the surface and transforms us from the inside. Because the reality is, most of us, I would say, is that what we see on the surface might look different to what we see underneath. I first came across this book while I was studying at Whitley, and I had 
do have to admit, while I was studying, I studied this book to get an essay done. So it didn't give me the depth of the book. So I thought, I need to read this again. It came across my path again. And as I read it again, it has started to change who I am. It started to help me understand and unpack some things in my life that needed unpacking. So we're going to go through it and see how this can transform who you are into, not, not the book, God. The book doesn't do it. The book's just a whole lot of words. We realise that. But how God transforms our lives through um, sort of finding out the stuff from inside. Genesis 1.27 says that God created us in his image. Now, we know that doesn't mean uh, God created us to look like him. Otherwise, they'd all look like me, probably. Uh, no, just joking. <laughs> That'd be boring, wouldn't it? A whole lot of peats running around. That would be very bad. No one wants that. Um, when he created us in his image, it, it's the full self, isn't it? It's not just the outside self. It's the full self that God created. And in, in the book, Cicero says that there are five parts to who we are. And they come up on the slide in a second. It's got the social, intellectual, spiritual. I don't know if you can see all those little words. Intellectual, physical, and emotional. Five parts to the whole self. If we lack a social or an intellectual or a physical element to who we are, it can be readily seen. We can see that. Even a spiritual element of our life is something that we can ascertain quite quickly when we have a conversation with someone. However, what's a little harder to track is our emotional development. You can see it in yourselves. A lot of people don't understand the emotions that they're going through. I remember when I was doing this, uh, reading this book at, at, at college going, I don't know what emotion I'm actually feeling. And as a, uh, a sort of a, sort of a uh, late 20s, early 30s sort of person thinking, what's that emotion that I'm actually feeling? Perhaps more than ever we're seeing the impact of how emotional health uh, impacts who we are, now more than ever. And COVID has a massive, had a massive effect on the mental health of many. So we need to address it. We need to understand it for ourselves. So through this series, we're going to look into what being emotionally healthy is and how it ties into our spirituality. It's discipleship of the whole self, not just the part that we see on the outside. And to do that, we need to, from the very outset, be vulnerable enough with ourselves, vulnerable enough to ask the hard questions and be honest enough with ourselves to answer them. And to journey with God and perhaps with some others around you in what God's doing within this space. So to kick off this series, we're going to talk about the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. I'm going to start from the, the backwards end and go forwards. And we're going to use this iceberg as an illustration. You can see the iceberg up there. If you go to the next one, the iceberg is an illustration. You see an iceberg shows about 10% of the iceberg is, a, is visible above the surface of the water. We can ask the, the, the Titanic, the people on the Titanic, couldn't we? What they saw was only that small part of the iceberg, but it made um, the underneath was huge. And that's what we see in our lives. We see the outside, the, the 10%. There's still 90% that's below the surface, it's the things deep in the surface of our lives, things that we can't see, that, that perhaps they, they, they bubble out when we're under great stress. The 90% that, that perhaps is repressed. It's that 90% that Jesus wants to transform in your life. And, and we need to allow Jesus to transform that part. So the, the, the next, uh, this whole series will be all about that. 
And my hope is that we'll live transformed lives because of it. I also hope that this will become a part of who we are as a community of believers, people who are willing to go to the depths of who they are to be transformed by Christ because it will make a difference in who you are to others. So as we start, we'll look at some of the signs of what it means to be emotionally unhealthy through the story of Saul. So Peter Skiro says about unhealthy emotional spirituality, he says this. He says, and he's a pastor of a, a, a big church in America, and uh, he was doing, built this church up from, from next to nothing. He says, I've lived it in full force for the first 19 years of my life. I became a Christian at 19, but for the next 17 years as a Christian, the truth was the gospel didn't extend very far beneath my own iceberg. I continued to live on the surface. A lot of things were challenging, well, a lot of things were changing, but I was unhealthy. I embraced it, I lived it, and I experienced its destructive effects. And I think it's part of what God used in my own life to begin to show me some things. It's been a very slow process for me to come out of that and into some health, and I'm still working for, on it. By no means have I arrived. This is a pastor that's been pastoring for a long time understanding that there's a whole lot more that he had to unpack. One of Sigazero's congregation's members said to him, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over again. I wonder if you can relate to any of that. See, dealing with our emotional health and our spiritual health helps us to understand self so much better. The stuff that's hidden away, perhaps because it's too painful. Perhaps it's because you're ashamed. Perhaps it's because of something of your past. Biblically, we see Saul. He's probably one of the greatest examples of Scripture where um, someone who lacks the emotional health and, and a life of, of seeking and contemplating God. And, and it brought destruction to him. He was a person with great promise. He was the king he was the, the hope. He had this future that was going to be great. And he started out well. He had these humble beginnings, then things didn't go so well for him. And we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And at the start of the chapter, Saul's given this command by God and through Samuel to muster the armies of Israel, hundreds of thousands of troops, and go up against the Amalekites and totally wipe them out. Don't leave anyone or anything. Totally wipe them out. Now, I know this passage can ask a lot of questions. We can ask a lot of questions of it. And that brings up a lot of questions. And our purpose this morning is not to answer those questions. Maybe we should at some stage. Because there are some big questions to wrestle with in this passage. But we're going to focus on Paul, uh, not Paul, Saul and Saul's response to God in this, this time. So the prophet Samuel brings Saul this message, go and wipe them all out. Go and be obedient. And Saul, he goes. He musters up the armies of Israel and he goes out on this mission. But he doesn't do it all, does he? He does most of it, but doesn't quite do the lot of it. In verse 9, just before what um, Sean read to us, it, says, it tells us that instead of wiping out all the sheep and cattle and the king of the Amalekites, it says, So Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. 
If we're thinking pragmatically, it didn't make sense to lose all those financial resources, did it? Politically as well, it mightn't have been a great move to kill the king uh, either, maybe hold him as a hostage or take him prisoner. That might have been a good thing. And so they pragmatically did that decision. They just didn't quite go all the way with what God had asked them to do. Saul did what he was asked, though. He went and wiped them all out, didn't he? He just missed a little bit of it. Saul probably went, well, I did all right. (laughs) What do you expect? But the prophet Samuel shows up. And Saul's response to Samuel in verse 13 is this. He says, the Lord bless you. (laughs) The Lord bless you, Samuel. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. You can sort of see he sort of feels this jolliness to himself. I've done this. As far as Saul was concerned, everything's just fine. Hey, I've done what I was asked to do. We won. We got the victory. But in God's eyes, it's not fine at all. Saul hasn't really obeyed, has he? He hasn't really done everything that was asked of him. He hasn't really connected with God and gone, Hey, God, you've asked me to do something that maybe I wrestle with a little bit. Maybe I don't fully understand, but I'm going to do it anyway. Perhaps it was for political reasons, or perhaps it was because of a fear. Perhaps it was because of greed. Whatever it was, Saul just didn't do what God had asked him to do. But he still thinks he has. If you read about King Saul through the Old Testament, you realize that in his whole life, he never lets God take control. He never fully listens. He always keeps his own ideas, keeps his own thoughts rather than God's ideas. And that was his downfall. Not only does he not listen, but then he fools himself into thinking that he was listening. He insists that he's done what he's supposed to do. 1 Samuel 15, verse 19 to 22 says this. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? That's Samuel speaking. And Saul goes in verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag the king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. And I was really, really good here because the best of them I gave back to God. I sacrificed them to the Lord at Gilgal. And Samuel replies, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is to better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the the fat of the rams. See, Saul did these things, but he didn't understand his disobedience. So what I want to do is try and unpack Saul's disobedience and and give you three basic characteristics of an emotionally unhealthy spiritual person and how we see it in Saul. Because when we understand what what is unhealthy, I suppose, we'll be able to understand what it means also to be spiritually, emotionally healthy. So the first thing Saul does as an emotionally unhealthy person is he says this. He says, no to reflecting and no to self-awareness. He's just not going down that road. He's kind of sort of praying. He's kind of listening, sort of doing some of what God says. It's like he's coming to church. He's doing the worship thing. He's got the whole lot going on. But underneath, he's concerned more about the approval of people. Even when he repents, he repents. But when he does, look at what he says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 30. It says, Saul replied, I've sinned 
But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Honor me, he says. He says, come back with me, Samuel, so that I can worship the Lord your God. So he wants Samuel to go with him so that he doesn't look bad in the eyes of his people. It's this need, this desire for approval very deep in Saul. And he just can't see it. He's unaware of his own fears. He's just not in touch with what is going on. He can't even say, I was just too afraid. He doesn't understand that perhaps his fear or his lack of not being approved by people was dominating who he was. In verse 24, he admits it. He says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Saul said to Samuel, sorry, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And he's the kicker. He says, I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. I was afraid of the men. God said, do this, but I was afraid of the men, so, so I gave in to them. He's the person that was anointed king. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Saul seems to be fearful of the men he is leading rather than of God. And he doesn't see it, regardless of how obvious it might see to us as we read through this passage. In that moment, he just could not see it. I wonder if you've ever sort of refused to see certain parts of your, yourself. It's hard. Maybe we see them and we try and suppress them. And sometimes that can start to take over our actions. Sometimes that dictates the things that we do to move us away from God. Maybe it makes us live in guilt. Maybe it helps, makes us fumble over the same sin again and again and again. Not only is Saul fearful, but he also becomes really envious of David. He's to become the next king. He's been anointed to be the next king. So he tries what he's trying to do. He tries, kills David again and again. He gets obsessed with this, this I've got to keep my own kingdom. He's envious. He's blaming. He gets explosive. And it seems that he doesn't understand it in himself. His jealousy and envy get to a point where he can't even think or see straight. So in the middle of all this, he continues to believe he's doing what God's called him to do. I'm the king. God's put me here. I'm doing God's will. Yet I'm still going to go out and try and kill this guy. (laughs) Perhaps he comes to church with the stories of how he's been doing the will of God. God's been great this week. God's I've defeated the enemies. I've led people out and done plenty of stuff. Yet... The other actions don't show it. The actions behind the scenes don't show it. You see decisions based around fear, especially Saul, fear of losing his own authority, fear of losing his approval of friends, fear that he may lose control and get found out, fear that he, he can't keep what he has because he's doing it in his own strength. There's nothing that depends on the reliance of faith in God who has stood before him many, many times and stood before his ancestors many, many times. You might have seen that behaviour before. You might have even found yourself displaying that sort of behaviour. 
getting jealous at somebody at school or at work or at university. And you see him prospering, you see him doing great, and it starts to eat up at you. And you know, rather than get alone and go, God, I don't know how to deal with this. Help me out, God. Rather than going to a a trusted person, you go, "Uh, like, come and help me out. I'm really struggling with this because I see that person and I want to be that person. Instead of doing that, you start just getting envious and jealous. And it starts to eat away at you. Or maybe you're at church and you're singing away in worship and you go in a small group making your prayer requests. You're going onto the website and clicking that link. But inside you're just mad at God because something in your past hasn't been dealt with. Or you're fearful about something. And you're not going to admit it, but you're mad. And you'd rather be angry. Parents. We're so, as we raise our kids, we we often push and now drive our kids. And we do that out of fear. Maybe out of a fear that they won't get to where we hope they would get. Or they won't respect us if we don't push them. Or they won't grow up properly. And we base our decisions around our own fears. Maybe we make decisions about work or our relationships that are based on fear. And not on the wisdom of God's truth. Or maybe you know what it's like to be in conflict with someone. And you need to say some hard things to someone. But out of fear you don't. And you allow people to get away with bad behaviour. You'd rather have someone like you than challenge them and lose something of that friendship. And so you shrink back. And you don't share that whole truth. See, what happens in those situations is that we end up living above the surface in one reality. But below the surface, we have another reality that doesn't correlate, doesn't fit together. And what happens then? It it starts to eat away at you until you just don't know what to do. See, it's here. We need to get real with God. We need to get in touch with God. We need to get away and be with God. We need to find some solitude, some space, some silence to be able to go, God, there's something going on that I still don't fully understand. What's going on, God, that I can't figure out? Asking, God, why do I do this? Why do I go around uh, with this anger? Why do I feel hurt by this? Asking God these questions. Journeying alongside a close friend in this as well. Wrestling and seeking God. Saul just doesn't seem to be in touch with what's going on inside of him at all. Take it to the other extreme. The polar opposite is Jesus. He, wouldn't, he would often withdraw to a solitary place, wouldn't he? He, he would get away from all the people that were around him because people wanted to be around Jesus. And he'd reflect. He'd recharge. He'd go and be with God. He wanted to know what his father's next steps were. You'd think if there was any person on this earth that didn't need to do that, it would be Jesus. You'd think that because Jesus was God. You'd think he could just keep going without the need for, for stepping back and being with God. But it didn't matter how many people were wanting a peace of Jesus. It didn't matter that there was more ministry to be done. It didn't matter if his own hometown people ran him out of town because his first port of call 
was not to bow to the pressure of those around him, but rather to understand what the will of the Father was. Could Jesus have healed more people? There's probably times where he could have stayed in a certain village and healed them. Could Jesus have done more ministry? Probably. But he chose to do the will of the Father. Jesus chose solitude over plentitude. Jesus chose to minister out of a place of stillness before his Father than out of the rush and the adrenaline kick of keeping on doing more. Jesus was so in touch with his Father's will that on the surface, we could sometimes look at him and go, Jesus, why didn't you go see your friend who you could have healed before he died? He was so in touch with his Father and who he was fully that he could love, share and minister out of a place of fullness. I wonder if that's the end goal, that we are so in touch with our Father, with the love of God, that all that we do, all that we are, reflects Him. Not busying ourselves doing stuff for Him, but rather reflecting Him and doing stuff because of that. Can you see the difference? I remember when I was reading this book, I remember thinking, I have to do something about my daily habits. I'd read my Bible each day, I'd pray each day. But I'd generally do that in the morning and then get through the rest of my day and maybe at night I'd say a prayer and I'd always pray with the kids and it'd be, that'd be my, my journey. So I'd, then I'd do all the stuff for God in between. And I thought, no, I have to change this habit because I needed a reset at lunchtime. So what I would do, I'd get a little devotional book and at lunchtime, I would reset. I'd have a five-minute devotion. It was only five minutes. I'd read, pray, and then go for a five-minute, ten-minute walk. And it was great. Around Newport, when I was at Newport, this is when I was in Newport, I'd just walk around the block and there was people everywhere. and it was, just, it was great. It was a reset. So I'd get back to my desk in the afternoon or go and see someone and I'd recharge. I'd reset myself. I was ready to minister again because I'd reset from the, the afternoon. I could disband with anything that hard had happened in the morning and go and minister out of a place of God's goodness. You know, sometimes it takes that silence, that, those moments of solitude, to, to draw out the deeper self. Because the reality is, our society, the pressure of our society, our culture just forces us into a, a mould, doesn't it? It conforms us into people who perhaps sometimes we don't want to be fast-paced, rushed, living up to the expectations of others. So instead of looking at, uh, at, at who we could be in Christ, we just say, well, that's just my lot in life. It'll get better as I get older. Once the kids are out of the house, <laughs> I'll get back into that. I want us to try and flip that narrative as God's people and deal with the stuff that's inside us, rather than just expecting it to just happen or just to live with it. See, Saul, he chose not to stop. He, he rather, he bulldozed through everything, believing that he had the right ideas, believing they were God ideas, yet they were just his own. So that's the first thing. Say no to, uh, Saul said no to reflection and self-awareness. I want us to start, and as we go through this series, 
to understand ourselves a whole lot more and who we are in Christ. The second thing that Saul says uh, or does um, is that he says no to cultivating his relationship with God. He doesn't spend the, the energy or take the time to, to cultivate it. He has his public life that was a God life, but you never see any evidence of the private life in God. He's just on autopilot. He says in verse 22 when God speaks to him, and these are poignant, sharp words, not just in Paul, Saul's life or in the Old Testament, for us today. It says in this 1522, Samuel replies, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obedience to the Lord? To obey is better than the sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of the rams. If I look in the message, I like the message version, this paraphrase. It says, Then Samuel said, Do you think all God wants are sacrifices? Empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing. Not staging a lavish religious production. <laughs> I like that. The Hebrew word for obey and the Hebrew word for listen are the same word. Obedience is evidence of having listened. And Saul, he doesn't listen. Saul never asks the question, God, what are you saying to me? God, what is it really you're saying to me? What are you speaking to me about? Yet he ran forward and he was wise in his own eyes, as Proverbs 3 verse 7 sort of warns us not to be. By contrast, David, his successor, was continually stopping to reflect. He wasn't the best bloke in the world. There was some stuff that David did that just wasn't quite cool. But the Psalms are David's response to God's voice. David was asking the question, what are you, what are you saying? Through his dark times, David would turn back to God. And part of what we're talking about in these, this series is taking responsibility for your life. Taking responsibility for that spiritual life, for the past, for the stuff that's deep inside that maybe we don't take a look at. The third thing that Saul says no to is Saul says no to, um, so first he says no to reflection and awareness. He says, no, I'm not going to develop this personal relationship with God that well. He says no to being broken through the setbacks and the trials and the difficulties. You see, setbacks, trials and difficulties, they come to all of us, don't they? We know it. They're always around. There are no exceptions. There's always going to be a hardship in life. But Saul, he refuses to be broken by it. And that sounds like a positive thing. But he gets up and fights again without dealing with it. His trials come in chapter 13, a few chapters before. We see the armies of the Philistines are about to wipe out Saul and his army. And they're hanging on by a thread. And God says he's going to show up on the seventh day. And it's the seventh day. And Saul's waiting for God. And he's not showing, God's not showing up. He's in this test of having to wait. Saul, just wait. Saul, just wait. I'm coming on the seventh day. And you know what it's like? We, we don't like waiting, do we? I don't like waiting that 20, uh, 35 seconds for my uh, food to reheat in the microwave anymore. I want it to be heated up within 15 seconds. <laughs> we know what it's like to wait. And Saul says, I can't take it anymore. And he takes things into his own hands and he sets up a burnt offering himself rather than waiting for Samuel to arrive. God's prophet to do that. Back, in, back into chapter 15, he feels like the, the pressure of his shoulders, off his shoulders to do something. And, and so he goes, all right, I can keep the wealth 
because this will be good for us. I'll give some of it back to God. Another trial that he wasn't willing to engage with. But it's only through the setbacks and the hurts and the brokenness that we're going to learn humility. There's no other way to, to, to come through the brokenness than through humility. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Solari and I were reflecting yesterday on uh, the time in our lives where we had to trust God the most. We had a sense that God was calling us into ministry together to study, but it meant giving up some good jobs and giving up the house that we were renting that we really loved, giving up our lifestyle that, was, um, that we were enjoying as a young married couple. But it was through those times where we had very little in terms of possessions or um, things that God granted us blessing upon blessing upon blessing. It was a beautiful place that we were able to give, that was offered to us, um, we were able to live in, that was offered to us at ridiculously cheap rent. We, we never went without food. Even if there were things that were maybe not on the really we would love that list that we didn't get, it didn't, it didn't bother us at all. Because we were humbled that God continued to provide for us each and every day. We'd pray, hey God, we pray this week that, that we'll somehow be able to get enough to pay the insurance. And every time God provided for us. It was a time where we could have been broken by fear, by uncertainty. But it's a time where we flourish because we could see the goodness of God again and again and again. It was where we had to be totally dependent on God. And it humbled us to see God's goodness Some of you will have been through trials and hardships that I can't even begin to imagine. Some of you will have deep pains that perhaps you've never disclosed to another human being. Perhaps there's been moments which have left you broken as a human, yet you're still living above the iceberg, putting on a great Christian persona. Christ's words are for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But Pete, you say, I'm not poor in spirit. Look at me. I've got it together. I look all right. I've got the clothes. (laughs) Yeah, if you've not come to grips with some of those past hurts, things that have broken you inside yet never been dealt with, then God can't deal with them because you're holding them for yourself. If you've never brought them to God, God can't work into healing those areas from in you. Saul, he didn't do it at all. He doesn't want to depend on God. He wanted to do things in his own way. Because those who are poor in spirit, they can't not depend on God. It's in those times of brokenness, those times of greatest need, that we find God the most. It's in our brokenness that God reveals himself fully to us. Saul, when trials came in his life, he just threw them out. God tries to humble Saul. God tries to break him so that he may sort of see who he is a little more. Yet Saul continued to go, no, I'll do it my own way. Proverbs 21 says, 
Who can say I've kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. I reckon Saul would look at that and say, I did what you said, God. I'm good. A broken person would say, yeah, God, not me. See, emotionally healthy spirituality, instead of saying no to reflection and self-awareness, says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to spend some time. This was new for me to learn as I started my my, uh, theology. Reflection, understanding itself, my emotions, I didn't get. I had to get a piece of paper that told me what emotions were what. And I had to go, oh, that's actually what I'm feeling. I had to learn. So some of the things that welled up in me, I'm like, what is that? I had to learn it. As an adult, (laughs) I had to understand myself. As a family growing up, we didn't express emotions that well. My family didn't express emotions. We didn't understand them. We didn't feel the need to express them. So anything that went wrong or any hardship, we just sort of of let it sit down here. Didn't really do a whole lot with it. We didn't know how to respond even. So I had to be open to learning what that meant for me. Emotionally healthy spirituality says yes to cultivating a personal relationship with God. It says yes to being broken and allowing God to work into the brokenness. Being emotionally healthy spiritually opens up our whole lives to God, to God's goodness and his healing, because that's when transformation starts to happen. My prayer is that as a church, we'll experience this transformation in God as we open up the parts of our lives that are below the surface. And that can be hard. So unlike Saul, don't say no to reflection and self-awareness. Find space to be with God. Be refreshed by God in a new and healthy way. Unlike Saul, make sure you cultivate your relationship with God. Don't barrel through life unaware of God. Seek Him in and through all of your life. Don't just allow the 10% on the surface to be the God part. Allow the depths of who you are to be transformed by God. Whole life's transformation. And unlike Saul, don't allow the hardships or the pain or the grief be avenues of blocking you from finding God. Don't, don't hide them from God. If you can, through this week or through the coming weeks, grab a copy of this book. You can get them at Kurong, you can get them online. Um, you can, if you've got a Kindle, you can read it on the Kindle. If you've got Audible and you're not real good at reading books and you can listen to it, uh, it can go on Audible as well. Grab a copy and have a listen. Challenge yourself in it. Challenge what's in it as well. If you don't agree with it, that's okay. Or if you look at it and go, I don't understand it, I'd love to have a discussion with you. If you drive a car, Audible's fantastic. If you drive for 15, 20 minutes a day, even 45 minutes, just whack an earphone in or have it on loud and just listen. Because let's become people who are unlike souls. Let's become emotionally healthy disciples. I'll invite the band back up and uh, I'll pray. Our God, we, we give you thanks that we have examples in the Bible of what to be like, but also how not to be. God, we give you thanks that we can learn. And God, may today we be challenged uh, by what we learn from Saul about how, how, to, how to be more like you rather than to do our own thing. 
Lord, we want to choose obedience. Lord, we want to choose to obey and, and to spend time with you, to give you those things in our 90% that's below the surface, that we may be transformed and changed into your likeness more and more. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.